0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, title of the talk is uh, Seeing Through Views, A Doorway to Liberation. And this uh, topic came about um, after a conversation I had with uh, a friend uh, this week, somebody I really um, respect and uh, uh, who inspires me in in many ways, and uh, she is about to get married, her second marriage and and his as well. But they've uh, they've been together for um, oh the last say four years or so. And really, have a a beautiful, loving connection. I, I've met him a number of times, and a really good guy. And it's clear like they, when they found each other, they'd both um, not been with with uh, with anyone for a while. Um, they're they're in their probably late forties or so, early fifties. And um, it's like they struck gold, you know, that feeling, like, wow, okay, I really found somebody that, that I love, who's such a good person. And in the, the last, oh, six or nine months, uh, since they got clear that they were going to get married, um, If you've gone through this before, you might know once that decision is made, there's a whole other dimension to the relationship that sometimes takes the form of, oh, what am I getting into here? It's one thing, uh, it lasted a while, but for many relationships, as perhaps you know, the, the dopamine is shooting through your body for about 18 months or so, and you're just, all you see is a radiant being of love, and then when that starts to wear off, it's like, oh, who is this person that I'm committing to, or getting to know? Well, they had a a really long honeymoon, so to speak, on that score, and uh, just in recent in yeah, six or eight months or so, s- just started to notice how they were different from each other in some ways. And it was really starting to be of some concern to, um, to my friend and, and her partner. Uh, but I spoke to, spoke to her just the other day we check in every now and then, and I said, "How's it going?" She said, "It's fantastic." I said, "Really?" What? And she said, "Oh, it's great." And how? How are you? Kind of, you know, going through the the ride onto uh, the the wedding, which is I think they're getting married in uh, June or so. And uh, she said, "Well, we we started seeing." somebody in counseling, somebody who I I know and respect very much. Um, And she said, everything has kind of fallen into place. And I said, really? Tell me. And she said, well, it took somebody, that third party, to realize that, although we have, for us to realize, although we have very, similar values, and both caring, loving, good people. We just have very different ways of organizing the world. This kind of reminds me of uh, Sarah's uh, work on, uh, with the dyslexic uh, group. Different ways of organizing and approaching different styles and different temperaments And I'm somebody, she's speaking, who likes to plan things out and be organized and know what's happening next. And he's somebody who just likes being spontaneous and organic and just seeing how things arise in the moment. Um, And there were a a few other... um, Aspects along that continuum that um used to really um bug her and sometimes you know get her frustrated, like why doesn't he get it? you know why does he this and that you know those thoughts that can come into your head, and as they both were working with this very skilled counselor just to see. They just have different styles, and when they could see the value in each of their styles, and that that's how their minds work, their brains work, and their and their conditioning has manifested. Uh, they just started appreciating each other all over again, deeper than before, and it was and this is. My friend is a very wise being, so it's not like she's got the wool over her eyes. I mean, she knows relationships are, are, can be work. But there was this feeling of not only peace, but of... I could feel it right through the phone, just such happiness. And she's a kind of radiant being, so everybody around could see, uh, would feel the rippling effects of this. And we talked about how um, seeing another person's perspective, that's all it takes to cut through all the why don't they's, or if only they would, and how can they, all of that, or why do they, whatever it is, into, oh, that's why they do that. Oh, that's how come they do that, or I do that. And it just relieves everything when you remove the blame and just see, oh, they just do it differently than I do. And it made me, um, I wanted to explore this a little bit with with us, but it re- made me um, reflect on one of uh, a, f- a favorite discourse of mine um, called the Paramataka Sutta. And this is from um, a collection of discourses. Sutta means discourse, as probably most of you know. A col- The collection of discourses that's probably the earliest of all the uh, collections of the Buddha's discourses um, called the Sutta Nipata. Now, all the, all the discourses of the Buddha were um, written hundreds of years, written down hundreds of years after he passed away. So who's to say just how much is the actual word of the Buddha? But there was oral transmission from the time of the Buddha through... Um, those hundreds of years. And the Sutta Napata is a collection that is uh, you can see, sense and scholars sense that this is probably the earliest collection. It doesn't go into flowery stories, but it's just the um, very straightforward direct Teachings that have a voice, a particular voice of an enlightened being saying, this is how it is. Um, so this discourse, the Paramataka Sutta, from the Sutta Nipata, I read a little bit of it. I've read a translation, some translations, in uh, in Jack and Gill's book, Teachings of the Buddha. Um, so you might... Uh, Uh, remember some of these words but I want to read it from the original or what's come down to us as the original text. The person abiding by a certain dogmatic view, considering it is the highest in the world, claims this is the most excellent and disparages others views different from that as inferior. As a result, he is not free from disputes. When he or she sees personal advantages from the things that he or she has seen, heard, or cognized, or from the rule or ritual, they cling passionately to that alone and see everything else as inferior. The experts say that it is a bond to depend on what one associates with and to see everything else as inferior. Therefore the disciplined one should not trust in things seen, heard, or felt or in rules and rituals. One does not consider himself or herself superior, inferior, or equal. The sage has abandoned the notion of self or ego and is free from clinging does not depend even on knowledge, does not take sides in the midst of controversy, has no dogmatic views. Mm. And uh, at the end of the Metta Sutta, you might be familiar with the Metta Sutta. It's chanted often at Spirit Rock, uh, and it's the the chant that uh, the Amarvati monks use. and at the very end of the Metta Sutta, talking about imbuing the heart with loving kindness and sending it in all different directions, the last words of the Metta Sutta are, <clears throat> by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. But the key, by not holding to fixed views, this is the way to open our hearts and see clearly beyond our own views and opinions. In the second noble truth, The cause of attachment, uh, the cause of suffering being attachment. The four attachments, attachments to sense pleasures. The next one is attachment to views and opinions. And then there's attachments to, uh, attachment to rites and rituals and attachment to the idea of self. How much do you hold on, do we hold on to our views and opinions as being the right way? And what would it be like if we could see that it's simply a view, it's simply an opinion? That doesn't mean to abandon your view or opinion, We all have our views and opinions, and the Buddha, one could say, had his views on things and his opinion about where happiness lies. But he said, don't believe anything that the Buddha says. You check it out for yourself, making it a direct experience. But even if you are clear, oh, this is how I see things, and this is what really resonates as the truth for me, it's still incredibly important to see this is my reality. And if somebody else is so clear on their reality to just see, oh, that's their reality. We've spoken about this a number of times, but it keeps on coming back again and again, not just as a way to make peace in the world, but to really go all the way to connection, love, and liberation. How many times, when I think about this after off the phone with my friend, um, how many relationships that I've had, not, not just primary relationships, but friendships or family relationships with others who knew me well and who I knew well, that we knew the dance that we played together. And know our roles in the dance, whether it's parent or child or friend or colleague or co-worker. Do you ever notice how you're perhaps a different person with one person who knows you well than another person who knows you well? that a different part of you comes out you know because oh it's my mother i know who i am around my mother you know oh it's my you know coworker who bugs me i know who i am around my coworker who bugs me not that you say that consciously but that you take on a particular role a particular view an opinion about them as well, which manifests as a certain way that you are and that you look for in them. Oh, they're going to blow it. I just know. Right? You ever hang around somebody who you feel knows that you're going to blow it? Do you feel kind of cool and graceful around them? Or <laughs> contraire, right? You feel like you're going to blow it. Uh-oh, I hope I, hope I don't blow it. They're they looking for me to blow it. And then you kind of stop being natural and at ease. And one way or another, no matter what you do, you'll probably be blowing it in their eyes. But you stop being just that natural, at ease person. When you're with somebody who you know, no matter what, loves you unconditionally. You know. Like, for instance, we just, I was just talking with uh, Kelana about her, her dog that uh, passed away. And uh, that, for me, as she, she was reading in, in uh, Awakening Joy about writing about my dog, because he passed away while I was writing the book, when you're with your dog or your pet, what comes out of you Your dog loves you unconditionally, besides the fact that you feed them. Okay, that's a big one right there. But they love you unconditionally, and so you become this being of unconditional love. right? I've shared this before. Jane got me a a pillow that we still have to this day in my uh, my living room that says, um, my goal in life is to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Because that's who you are when you're with your dog. It's like, oh, I know who I am when I'm with my dog. I'm a being of unconditional love. Okay, well, you don't have to think, I'm going to try and be a being of unconditional love. It's just, oh, hi, boy. Hello. Hey, boy, come on here. Yeah. That's what comes out of you, right? And so it just it's a feedback loop that brings it out of that being. And in the same way... When you can be around that, can be that way around somebody else and just see how beautiful they are, lo and behold, that's what you bring out of them too, isn't it? But when you have any kind of ideas or views about how they are, oh, I know how they are, then you start to kind of look for and notice that, and out of the depending upon what kind of mood you're in, you know, out of the whole um, palette of possibilities of this person, if you're feeling love towards them, then you bring out love. But if you're a little bit annoyed or stressed or frustrated, you will see the flaw. You'll be looking for the flaw. You know? And that's what you bring out. We all know this experience. So, to really see how powerful it is to uh, take the filter off and see, oh, this is, or realize, oh, this is just a filter I'm putting on top of experience. It's just a a view that I have of who they are or who I'm supposed to be. In fact, I remember as I'm talking about it when when I the first time I went traveling, you know, maybe if you've ever gone traveling by yourself. That first magical time. I was in my 20s. I, I was a school teacher and uh, and the first time I went to Europe by myself and I was um, sixteen. I was 22. And it was scary, you know, like, oh my God, I didn't know a soul getting off that plane in London. But that was a transformative experience because I realized I could be anybody. I didn't have to be Gary's friend or Eddie's friend or Joe's friend or Debbie's friend or whoever. God, I can be anybody. And I found out parts of myself that I never knew before. How many people have had that experience? It's cool, isn't it? It's like you opened up to this whole new world, not because you were different, but because your world was different, and so you weren't holding views about how others saw you, and you didn't have views about everybody else, so you could see everyone with fresh eyes. It was all an adventure, and of course, being in that adventurous spirit kind of brings out a whole other aspect of you. But it's so cool to see, oh, I can be anyone. Nobody will know me. Oh, I know who he is. So, here we are practicing you've probably gone on your your trips and have seen the possibilities but here we are in our daily life with the people that we know how committed can our ongoing practice of just loving the truth beyond our secret Beyond our ideas, beyond our fixed views, and beyond the way we hold others, that we love the truth so much that we're willing to see our own take on things as simply a fixed a view, an important view to honor, but just a view. Mm-hmm. And what can happen from that is there's a kind of alignment, especially if you happen to be fortunate enough to be in connection with others, primary or just friendship relationships that are Dharma-based, where both people are just in it to help wake each other up. Then you want to be um, called on lovingly uh, on when you're framing somebody in a certain way. And then there's, instead of blame, there's compassion. Just compassion for yourself, for for the other, how we get caught up in our ideas of how people are supposed to be. I remember... That's coming to mind. Uh, many years ago, I was sitting a retreat. Um, I was around. I know it was, in, it was 2003 because it was the, the be- first retreat at the Forest Refuge. I remember now, and uh, I thought I had pretty much played the history of my family of origin, you know, over countless retreats and gotten. A whole lot of stuff cleared up. But on this retreat, I saw something that I had never seen before. I saw my mom, my dad, their particular uh, ways of being and their parents and their generations back and back and back and just seeing, oh, what had been handed down, the different neuroses as well as gifts. And each successive generation, I had the sense, particularly as there is more consciousness, there's the gifts get passed on, but a little bit more awareness um, until, and but nobody had been exposed to the Dharma, of course, and I was so incredibly fortunate to s- be able to see, to separate kind of wheat from the, the chaff and see the beauty in, in each lineage and ancestor and to see what got passed down and how it manifests in me—it didn't stop at that generation. It was right there in me too. Oh, that's why. And in a moment, I—I I remembered this book by Trungpa Rinpoche. Just the title flashed by as I was looking at generations of of habits and causes and conditions. The title of the book was Dharma's without blame. Dharma's without blame. And I'm just getting goosebumps as I remember it now. Dharma's without blame, that there's no blame anywhere. We're all just products of our conditioning, plus our temperament, our genetics, or whatever experience has happened to us at any time, all the experiences, and they all go up into making who we are. That's not good or bad, it's just the way it is. But it's all just causes and conditions, causes and conditions, over generations and generations, and coming out through you as this unique creation of causes and conditions that helps you function in the world and sometimes gets in the way. But to see beyond that those causes and conditions there's something that is untouched by those causes and conditions and that is the capacity for genuine unconditional love and for a pure awareness that shines through you. My friend, uh, in the second part of the conversation, she was talking about how not only has she and her partner um, really come to a, a new level of intimacy and connection, but that she um, and her uh, daughter, who's in her twenties now, who they have have had a lot of love, but also um, some bumpy times, and uh, she and her partner and her daughter and her partner um, went on this uh, trip together, and on this um, this area that they uh, they were visiting at the top of a of a a small mountain, there was a labyrinth. And they all did the labyrinth together. Each one, if you ever walk through a labyrinth, it's kind of like a quiet meditative. You're just following the maze and focusing on it. And one thing that happens if you walk in a labyrinth is your mind kind of quiets down. You've got to pay attention and just be with each step and you're kind of on this journey where you can't plan the journey. It's all there for you. So your mind kind of settles down. It's a very meditative experience. And they all did this labyrinth, while walking it in their own way, in their own time. And when they got out, all four of them just were so... Centered and connected, that they had this amazing um, group hug. It was in silence, and they were there for like, you know, five or ten minutes, which is a really long time. She said, Nothing was said. We just all met in this place of love. And it was like all the Stuff or dramas or individual personalities kind of melded and merged into one aligned connection of energy. It's really lovely as she was, I said, wow, you know, five or ten minutes, that's a long time. That's what's possible when you cut through all the stories. Isn't it amazing? It's right there. When you cut through all the stories, we all want to just meet in that place of love. And what gets in the way? Often our expectations and agendas and ideas of how somebody's supposed to be or how they're not being or how I'm not messing, how I'm messing up or how I'm not doing or whatever... All of that is just the mind getting in the way of this love that's yearning to connect with others. I find this one of the great mysteries of the human experience that we're so yearning to connect and yet it's such a hard thing not only to do but to sustain. When I think of... Half the marriages of till till death do us part with somebody who you felt was going to really be the partner you were looking for, and somehow that love is uh, is cut off because of humans being humans. what a mystery it 's like. The love is just kind of seeking each itself out in another. And all it takes is letting go of the mind stuff generally to meet in that place of love. And the more you can realize and see through it, this is why these, this fixed views is so important, seeing through fixed views, the more you see through it and you remove the blame, the more you see that you are just this manifestation of causes and conditions that's never happened before in the world, that is uniquely yours, that you can celebrate, that you can honor, that you can appreciate, that you can have compassion for, because there's parts of you that perhaps aren't fully cooked. But that's really basically goodness wanting to express itself. So seeing, it's just causes and conditions, seeing there's no blame in here, out there, then you see beyond that conditioned personality to the place beyond that. And that is really... As the Buddha said, the doorway to liberation, those holding, not holding to fixed views are not born again into this world. So I just ask you perhaps, before we open it up for conversation, just reflect for a moment. I invite you to close your eyes. And... Um, Just think of some relationship in your life that sometimes is deep and close and sometimes uh, can drive you up the wall or is frustrating or uh, challenging. Or well, you can pick whatever relationship. It doesn't have to be that extreme And uh, just reflect on what views you might have about that other person. And maybe what views they might have about you as you do your dance together. See it both ways. You might for a moment reflect on wondering if they're that way around everybody or maybe there's others that they have a different side of them come out, just like perhaps a different side of you comes out around others. So that might loosen up the fixed view of who that person actually is, rather than who they are around you. And then, on another level, see both of you as just an unfolding process of causes and conditions that manifest in a certain way, particularly when you interact. And see the, see the basic Buddha nature or goodness in each of you. Maybe holding both of you from that vantage point with real appreciation and compassion and loving awareness. And then you might send both of you, a little bit of loving kindness. And uh, celebrate the fact that you can have that perspective. Gently come out. So we have some time for comments, questions, observations.
1: Here, thanks, Andrew yeah I'm wondering how um everything you've talked about sure. tonight and and uh having this um uh, understanding about different you know people having different realities and stuff when all around you no most people don't have that. how do you live in this world with that knowledge and um and deal with people that don't have any idea about that
0: yeah well before i answer what comes to your mind say in the wi- the wisest part of you if you realize if you're in touch with that perspective and most people around you aren't what would there's, be the the wisest There's no su-
1: feeling of superiority but frustration really ah. um and frustration that they can't see it <laughs> yes and that I feel um, maybe like a chump sometimes because you know mm. I'm I'm putting myself out there and they're just you know they're just not um, I don't know that they're just not in tune with they're not in it. tune with it. Okay, so you can feel you know like a. A
0: chump or frustration that they're not in tune with it. Um, another possible response is um, compassion for the fact that they are just they're living in their their internal reality with no no awareness of that. And how fortunate it is that you can see. It's like, you know, Jesus saying, Forgive them, they know not what they do. It's only when you have a view of expecting that they should know better that you've just gotten caught. Especially even more caught because when you think, Oh, don't they see they're just holding on to fixed views? When you just added on the the uh the Trump card of fixed views, you know don't they get it like I get it? you know that's just a view that they should get it, so it's really to see, oh wow, we're all just doing the best that we can fumbling around, and my agenda for them is a particular idea and expectation that I'm laying on top of reality. So you kind of know what to expect and what, what not to. Yeah. For me, it's so freeing. It's like if you see a little kid who doesn't know any better, you know, who gets himself or herself into trouble or gets all wound up, you know, do you say, Come on! Why don't you get it together? Well, you might actually, if it's you know, if it's your if you're the parent or whatever. But when you really see this kid doesn't know any better. Often there's a greater capacity for compassion. Oh, he's just getting so caught, and often the response is just to you know hold them and say, "Oh, it's okay, dear." Just see, we're all little boys and girls in big bodies. That makes a whole difference from the frustration that they should have it more together. For me, anyway. Here, why don't you uh, pass it. And it's Philip, right?
2: I guess yeah, put it right next
0: to your mouth. That's it. I right.
2: guess something that I think about when I think about this is the distinction between. Sorry, yes. you can't hear. Yeah, is the distinction between um, when you're very capable of trying to see or seeing how other people might feel, and in those situations, to the point where you maybe don't make the right decisions for yourself because you can understand where other people are coming from.
0: Mm. Hmm. So, do you have? Can you give me an example? Or, okay, so maybe
2: maybe a simple example would be, you know, if you're sick and you should take care of yourself because you're not well, but mm-hmm. somebody else needs you, and so you overextend yourself, uh-huh. something like that.
0: Okay. So, what do you think? the wise response is?
2: I would guess you're not much of a help to anyone if you're not strong with yourself. Um, but it's... I'm i am not sure, mm-hmm. actually, because I, I also have a struggle with not being there for someone when they need you.
0: Mm-hmm. Wanting to be there, and and when you're not there because you either don't have the bandwidth or the capacity or whatever... Yeah, and this is a really important thing because we really want to express our caring, but your wisdom got you right in touch with it after you reflected for a moment. Well, I guess I'm not going to be so much of a help to others. It's the same principle. You you can't. You have to include yourself in the compassion that you give to others, particularly if you see that if you're running on empty... Or if you're feeling somehow depleted or doing it out of guilt or obligation, then you're not gonna fully show up in that same way anyway. So you've gotta take care of yourself. You know, put on the oxygen mask before taking care of anybody else. It's the basic principle in life. You've got it it's not selfish, it's just wise, so you can really show up for others. And it's important to see you're not alone in this. The conditioning that says, oh, I should be there. You've got a lot of company, so this is not any kind of judgment. But we have to really come down to um, being wise and asking ourselves, what is really the healthiest thing to do for myself so I can show up for others? Not out of... Just should, but out of wisdom. Now, of course, there are times. You know, if you're, you know, if you're a, a new mom and your, uh, you know, your your infant is crying at night, and you can't just say, "Oh, I'm too tired." You know, I you got to be there. Okay, so it's not cut and dried. You know, oh, I should always take care of myself first. You have to look at the situation, but notice what. What is, and this is a con- an ongoing wise discernment, what the wisest thing to do is. If this is a matter of life and death, you stretch yourself no matter what. If it's something that is really important, that is, you know, that will be more fulfilling in the long run, okay, you push yourself, you can. But if your habit is to just be the last. On the on the serving line that you feed, then you know that's really important to see. And and again and again, coming back to what's the balance between really taking care of myself and and being there for others. That's how I would see it. Thank you. Yeah, one one last one. Oh, it's just about time. So, quick,
3: Jim. I, I guess the uh, I, I guess the challenge is always to. This idea that there are no fixed views that are worth hanging on to is a really attractive view to hang on to rigidly. And what.
0: Don't I, hang on to it. <laughs> just see for yourself.
3: What, what I find is the most useful, sort of gentle way to deal with myself rather than just you know, slap myself for having a fixed view and not mm. having a fixed view yeah. is to talk about. Um, Working hypothesis, you know. So any view that I have is a yeah. working hypothesis. You know, I, I have this wonderful gift of working mm-hmm. as a soil engineer. So professionally, I never, I'm always, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> below the surface and never know what's really going on. We never know mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. But, we, but we do lots of buildings that succeed, and we 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 have a working hypothesis about what type of foundation.
0: Mm-hmm. And it always, it almost always works. Mm-hmm. That's. But, I think it's 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 a it's a, it's a Excellent alternative to uh, to fixed view, and I'm not saying that when you have a view that you should, you know, judge yourself for it. I, I hope I communicated that. That just to see that it is your working hypothesis, and you know, it might be absolutely right on, um, but there's I like that. There's a more fluidity in in that. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's let's close and uh, with a quick loving kindness. Just feel your own basic goodness and uh, send some kindness to yourself. May I really stay in touch with with that inside? May I see through my fixed views? Hold them as working hypotheses and see through the way I hold others and see their true nature. May all find the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere.